Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and I'm joined as ever by... Thomas Therese. Brother How Thomas Therese. <laughs> uh, oh yes, don't forget the brother bit. That's brother to you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Brother Thomas? Uh, yeah, I'm not doing too bad, thanks. It's the end of term, so my essays are all in, my lectures are all over, I've just got a few exams to prepare for, uh, which is... Yeah, I mean, obviously normal. you still have things whirling around in your mind and things, but I'm looking but forward to a break. Term. Yeah, we have very intense terms in Oxford. Yeah, very intense. I'm only I halfway think. through. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Rather you than me. Um, yeah. How are your studies going? How's everything going with the masters and work yeah, and everything going yeah, all right? It's, it, it's going okay. Um, I've been, up to this point, I've been pretty on top of things, but we've had some illnesses at work, which have meant that work has piled up. And mm. studies have gone by the way a little bit, you know. You know, it's always trying to balance. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, like, there are always many, many plates to be spun, really, isn't it? You know, I've been very lucky this time in some respects um, mm. in the in terms of the sort of, uh, I mean, lucky and unlucky at the same time because the apostolic work that I have to do in terms of teaching and catechesis, stuff like that, I, I do really genuinely enjoy it. Um and it gives you a sense of what things are going to be like beyond this part of formal study and, you know, in the process and things. Um, but I mean, it's been good in one sense because it's meant that I've, I have had a little bit more time to focus on study. It hasn't meant that I, that I have managed to prevent myself from getting behind. <laughs> um, I have been a little bit behind, particularly towards the end of term. Um, but... Yeah, so on the one hand, it's been quite fortunate because I've had a little bit more time to focus on studies. On the other hand, uh, or at least to breathe. Um, and on the other hand, I've been very unlucky in some respects because I actually really enjoy the work, you know, being with people and answering people's questions and helping people come closer to Christ in his church, you know. Yeah. That's when you're I, most alive. When you're yeah, yeah. People. When I get excited, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the, one of the brothers always says to me like oh how's everything going with um uh with the apostle and stuff like that and uh one of the things that he always one of the things he always associates me with is passion he's always like where's the passion thomas where's the passion because there was this one time when we were at dinner and we were talking about um we were talking about someone and uh, i can't remember I can't even remember what the context was now, but I remember saying, mm, yeah, the problem is just where's the passion, you know? So, yeah, I realize I'm just rambling now. <laughs> well, let's it's delirium about... from being too tired at the end of a term. Yeah, like... well, I, think, uh, I think everyone can relate to that. Being too tired that you just, it's just your mind wanders. But anyway, let's mm. talk about someone who you are very passionate about. We're going to be talking today, focusing our episode on someone who you've spoken about previously in reflections in indeed maybe even in episodes before uh so we thought we'd we'd actually spend an episode on this particular person and his name is because you pronounce it so well uh thank you that study of uh (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah my french is notoriously bad but his name is uh jean-joseph letast he's Mm -hmm. a blessed who i think he was declared blessed by benedict 16th 2007 um, but he's a 19th century uh, Dominican, um, yeah, who did a lot of work with prisoners. One of the things that people call him is the apostle to prisoners. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about his background and his life, what he was like and what he did. I think 
it, today's day and age, I think, could learn a lot from Blessed Latast. As yeah. much as society has become more tolerant, thankfully, in some ways, um, in other ways, it's actually become much less forgiving, in my opinion, um, much less forgiving. And you see this, uh, you, you really see the measure of somebody's charity or somebody's love, not based on how they treat people who it's easy to get on with and easy to like in their life, but actually the people who they find it difficult to love. You know, we spoke about the uns of society, the unwanted, the unloved, the undervalued, the unappreciated. And I think society does have a tendency to discard people on account of their moral failings rather than actually pursue a path of genuine forgiveness and rehabilitation, which I would argue is the Christian path. Um, yeah, I don't think that as Christians we have the the luxury of being able to cast people a, a, aside. Uh, I think that's a form of iconoclasm. You know, people are made mm. in the image and likeness of God. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, people have the ability to be converted and we call people back to conversion constantly. And this also requires on our part forgiveness, you know. Um, and I, I do worry sometimes, sometimes even talking to the young, you know, uh, the sense of a bit of despair and um, a bit of, yeah, a lack of willingness to forgive people. One of the things that we've often said on the podcast, I think, when talking about forgiveness is forgiveness really is about the serious things, not the little things, you know? Somebody accidentally spills their cup of tea over me in my white habit, you know? Um, I might, I actually, I don't I don't really get upset by it at the moment, but when I was a novice, I probably would have been upset by it. Uh, you know, my beautiful, my beautiful white habit stayed. I wouldn't have been upset white? with the other person. Oh, deep. He's saying this because like, I've got stains all over my sleeves and anyway. Um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to keep clean, you know. White. It is a hard thing to keep you clean, you're right. White every day. You know, this is in our this is in our rule. It says, you know, don't have a disordered desire for a clean habit. Now that doesn't mean that you have the luxury of uh, you know, being absolutely filthy, which I think some brothers sort of take it to mean. Um, but it does mean that we shouldn't have a yeah a disordered desire for a clean habit and actually sometimes you know when you see you know stains on brothers habits it's because they've been working you know and that's always a nice thing to see isn't it that they've been out working, working or, <laughs> or, <even>. <laughs> <laughs> or both it's, um, do you know, it's, it's interesting if you look at pictures of uh, blessed latas you can see him in in the habit and what, what struck me is there was there's one particular picture where he's in the habit and the habit looks almost identical how how you have it is it hasn't actually changed that much no years i mean it, it does look really similar the 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 difference is that he has a tonsure so he yes. his hair has been cut, cut in a particular way at the top of of his head so he's just left with a a ring mm. of hair around the outside mm. you can you can look up pictures of do you know do you know what the thing. what do you know what the spiritual significance of the tonsure was of that of that distinctive hair yes. hairstyle yeah, I mean, I might, might not be the same answer as you're going to give, but I, I, there's something to do with pride, isn't there? That you you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you give up vanity over looks. Um, so yes, you're, you're free from that. But I'm sure there's more more reason than that. Yeah, I mean, you're you're quite right. It is it is supposed to be something which humiliates you to some extent, right? So it's about making oneself lower. Uh, it is also about shunning uh, looks. Yeah, that's that's part of it. 
Um, and in a certain sense, it's about renunciation of worldly values or worldly things. You're you're in the world, but not of the world. And this is a sign of that. Of course, that's true of all Christians, as we find in the gospel. But um, it's supposed to be so much. I mean, so much of religious life is about being a sign of something, right? An eschatological sign, yeah, a sign of the end, say. a sign of the kingdom of God. And this is another thing. It's, it's a visible sign of being in the world, but not of the world to help encourage other people who have not taken um, the the path of religious life as their vocation, but have perhaps gone into marriage to encourage them in their uh, practice of of religion and to remind us as well. Mm. And of you course, know, the so. habit, the habit as well, is a eschatological sign. You you've given up. Yes, you've given up other pieces of clothing. You've given up your fashionable yeah. hoodie, the fashionable yeah. hoodie that you used to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, yeah, hey. <laughs> I've had for years. Used to have a, uh, a hoodie that said Gap, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a Black Gap athletic Just, hoodie, and I had it for like over it, well over a decade. It was yeah. like threadbare, but people kept telling me to get a new one, and I just, I wouldn't. Maybe that was a, fore, a foreshadowing of my, mm. my poverty now, right? You're quite right. There's something about the habit which does encapsulate poverty, chastity, and obedience, right? Mm. Um I mean, poverty in the sense of uh, you wear the same thing every day. You know, you don't you don't um, uh, choose uh, between lots of different sort of nice clothing. I mean, I've got to admit, our habit is the Rolls Royce of habits. It's a very pretty habit. Um, I think, yeah, also, oh <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> also obedience, um, um, also chastity. You know, uh, you you are distinct and. Um, separated uh, in another way you know nobody's going to be flirting with me at the bar in my habit let's put it that way um, <laughs> not that they would anyway but <laughs> not that you're meant to be at a bar anyway we're getting we're getting off we're getting off topic we are but, so there's it's an interesting thing then uh, you, you said about the habit being an es- eschatological sign and very a lot a lot of aspects of religious life are an eschatological sign Mm. I think, and that, just just to say what on, that means, by the way, yeah. anything that's eschatological is just to do with like the end times, or you know, um, not not just the sort of the end of the world, but um, eschatological is to do with the end times or the end things. So, like heaven is something which is eschatological, and the kingdom of God, we can talk about it as being eschatologically manifested or manifested at the at the end. Um, yeah, so it's just. A sign of great things to come. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it points towards actually our, our purpose in this life is to grow to know God and to be in union with God in, in mm. heaven. Um, and I think something of Latas' life is like that. He shows us uh, an aspect of what, what life will be like in heaven. So he forms, as we're going to talk about, he forms this community of of people for the you know the poorest of the poor in society uh, to show them what life is like with God but also to, t- to teach other people to teach the the world and change um, society to be able to see actually these people do have dignity they have mm-hmm. worth because they've been created by God and there is this unity that we find with them but anyway let's uh, we're, we're sort of talking about we're getting ahead right? of ourselves yeah <laughs> But let's let's just say so. He, sh- he lived a very short life. 
he he didn't live very long at all. He was only 36 or 37 when he died. So he lived in the, the 19th century. But he achieved so much in just a, a very short time. So in his early years, he was part of the SVP, which is St. Vincent de Paul Society. He was part of this group, which has particular focuses. They, they focus on fraternal life. Uh, they focus on care of the poorest of the poor. Um, they focus on a common life of prayer and Eucharist. And these things, I think you see them come up again in Latas' later life. Uh, I think these, these things sort of become a, a well which he draws upon later. But it wasn't until he was 25 that he joined the Dominicans. So mm-hmm. really, he was only, he's only a Dominican for 11 or 12 years, a very short time. But he, he achieved a, a great amount. Uh, which is quite significant. Yeah, I mean, he I, when he was a member of the SVP, of course, he was noted for his uh, for his great charity. Really, he was he was described by the person who was sort of running the SVP there as a man who was no novice to charity. He wasn't a beginner in the exercise of charity, and particularly that he wouldn't just sort of turn up with a voucher of bread or meat and then sort of disappear. But he became very attached. He became quite attached to them and they became very fond and attached to him and that his visits to them would take a long time and be very frank and uh, cordial. And people sort of, when they saw him, they looked forward to him coming, you know. It wasn't just popping round and then disappearing. He would go and uh, actually really enter into the lives of, of these people who were who were very poor. And when he leaves he them, before them, he... He befriended them, yeah. he, he recognised their dignity. Yeah. And before he became a Dominican, he fell in love. There was a, a girl who, who he fell in love with. And I think I think it was his father, I think, didn't approve, basically, of the match. So basically sort of moved him, moved him somewhere else. Um, and he, she died only a couple of years after. And obviously, they didn't get married. Um, but he did, he, when he was thinking about becoming a, a Dominican, uh, this is one of the things that he said. Listen to this. I am a coward. I dare not consecrate myself to God because my weakness and the inclinations of my heart, the gravity of the faults and almost their irreparability, once entered into this holy state, frighten me and I stop. On the other hand, to live in the world with my character and my heart and to remain in my continual isolation, I do not feel the strength to do so. So you have this beautiful tension in him whereby he realizes that the life which he wants to pursue as a consecrated religious is something which he has no right to he has no claim to he's overwhelmed by his his own uh sense of sin and his own weaknesses and his own desires but also at the same time he knows he cannot do anything other than move forward and enter into religious life and i think that there is a great deal of there's a lot that i can recognize that when i hear people's vocation stories there is a lot in that that i can see in other people too and this will shape him then when he later goes into the prison he's conscious of his own sin he's conscious that he has been shown mercy and grace by god when we become dominicans the provincial will say to you what do you see because you're lying face down on the stone floor with your arms outstretched like christ and the answer that the order gives you to reply with is God's mercy and yours. So this is a man who knew that what he was to be given 
was a pure gift from God. It was a grace from God, which is going to be a participation in his uh, working out of his salvation and its mercy. And so he becomes this merciful figure for others who also know very well uh, their weaknesses and uh, the gravity of their faults um, and to some extent their irreparability and he says well the response to this is mercy and grace um, and he realizes that even with uh, even with his weaknesses and, and faults and things that to live in the world he says to live in the world with my character and my heart and to remain in continual isolation I do not feel the strength to do so he cannot hold himself back so then on November 4th in 1857, he presents himself to the novitiate and uh, he intends to enter. It's important to note that um, this is during the days of the restoration of the order. So the, the order of friars preachers, the Dominicans, were kicked out of France during the French Revolution. Um, and they'd started coming back because of a great Dominican called Henri Dominique Lacordaire, who's a very famous public figure in France yeah, at the time. And um, A wonderful on, man in his own right, isn't he? Oh gosh, yeah, we should have an episode on him. Absolutely. Uh, for <laughs> yeah, four it's, days it's, it's after he arrived. So just mm. just before you continue, so so he was such a he had such an influence this Lacordaire that uh, a, a woman later who became a, a religious sister, she became a, a mother um, of a community. Her, she took the name on uh, Henri Dominique after mm. Lacordaire. Lacordaire. Yeah. She I mentioned her because she comes alongside uh, Lataste, Blessed Lataste, in helping him to found uh, this this community that we'll come into later. <laughs> <laughs> As we keep saying, stay, stay tuned. Um, yeah, I mean, he was also responsible for, um, oh, what's her name? Her feast was yesterday, Marie-Eugénie. So uh, St. Marie-Eugénie is the foundress of the religious of the Assumption. Um, and uh, she went to his Lenten preaching at Notre Dame Cathedral, a uh, very famous series of, of um, talks that Lacordaire gave uh, during Le uh, Lent one year. And um, she listened to what he said and she came alive. She knew that she had to do something. And so what she did was that she founded the Religious of the Assumption and the Religious of the Assumption are still going to this day. Uh, I got to and know of them. Some of them are your good at university. From yeah, university. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're based in the UK. You you can find them at St Mary's University in Twickenham, uh, or you can find them in Kensington. And I think they have a community in Newcastle, uh, and they're part of the, a wider province of Europe now. They have a novitiate still in France. Uh, yeah, they're very very good, very kind sisters. And uh, I had no idea that they had this sort of Dominican connection until after I joined, and I went Isn't to an anniversary. Have Dominican connections. Yeah, we're everywhere. I was just thinking, what underlines uh, this this sort of point is the interconnectedness of saints. I, mean, I think we've said it before mm. that you you don't become, or God doesn't want you to become uh, a Christian or holy on your own. God calls you to. He gives you a church. He gives you a community. A yeah. yeah, absolutely. We help there each is other. This interconnectability, or in another sense, there is this dependability on other people. So you mm. had, I mean, I think it's said that uh, Blessed Latas could not have started this community without Mother Henri Dominique. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the same, we mentioned St. Vincent de Paul. He had, of course, he had St. Louis as well. Uh, oh, Louis. yes. I can't, oh, can't remember. can't remember the name off the top of my head, but another saint, uh, you know, alongside him, helping. We should and go and visit. Uh, is he uh, is he buried in Paris? I think we might have been to his grave, actually. No, because he's incorrupt, we, we, isn't he? So in the we haven't been to see him. Yeah, in the past we've travelled around France to to see all these major places. You know, France we've avoided Paris, and I've got a feeling he's in Paris. Yeah, possibly, but I think it. You know, these. There's a very important point: is that you're you're called to participate in the life of other people. God calls you to be uh, to follow Him uh, on mm-hmm. this Christian path alongside other people. We're interrelated people, yeah. God, mm. And that this is what, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, isn't it, when he talks about the church being like a body. You know, notice that we're like a body. We're not like a football club. We're not like a group of people who have an interest in a particular sort of film. We're like a body. That's how dependent on each other we are. That's how... Yeah, and it hurts yeah. when one is missing. It, it hurts when one does something wrong within the church. It hurts. When, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, the flip side. When one does something extraordinary, it it pleases, enriches, the rest. enriches yeah. the rest. So just on on his life, then. So he he Latas becomes a Dominican. He joins the Dominicans, and there's a very formative experience, a profound spiritual experience he has when he's he's praying uh, with a relic of Mary Magdalene. So he's praying to the Lord. Just that. Um, when when he when he joins, so this is four days after he arrives. When he joins, he's accepted by the community. And here's a quote from him, which I think is very beautiful. I cannot understand how it can be that I am so calm, so tranquil, so happy. Certainly, I hope to be, but not without difficulty, without a struggle, without a fight. The good Lord, I can see him spares my strength. He reserves the tests for the days when I will be stronger. What is certain is that I have never been so happy, so calm, so joyous. I have never laughed so much and I have never slept so heartily. This is his description of being um, of, of his first first experience of living inside the Dominican community accepted as a Dominican when he's when he realized he's been accepted by the brothers he's been seen he's been understood he's been known and he's been loved and this is his and I I just find that so beautiful and sometimes you, you will you know you talk to the novices after they've first been uh after they've first been clothed in the habit and you hear exactly this same tranquility calmness peace happiness joy and excitement for the future and they know that tests uh, will come in the future but in that moment um they very much echo echo that 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 song of praise that you find there i cannot understand how it can be that i am so calm so tranquil so happily so happy certainly i hope to be but not without difficulty or without a struggle, without a fight. The good Lord, I can see he spares my strength. He reserves the tests for the days when I will be stronger. What is certain is that I've never been so happy, so calm, so joyous. Never have I laughed so much and never have I slept so heartily. 
So that's a beautiful reflection right at the very beginning of his of his Dominican life. But you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the patronesses of the order is St. Mary Magdalene because she is a penitent. She is a, a repentant woman. And, and you're quite right. His devotion to St. Mary Magdalene, one of the patronesses of the order of preachers, the apostles to the apostles, um, it has a, a very profound impact on him. And again, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'll just hand over to you to what you were going to say before. Yeah, it's fascinating that you, you mentioned that quote when he joins the order because it seems to me that he takes that spirit of being known and loved unconditionally for who he is. He doesn't have to pretend to be something else in order to join the order. He joins as he is, he's accepted as he is. And he takes that sort of spirit and puts it into this uh, this community which he founds later. So let's go quickly through this. So he has this profound spiritual experience when he's praying alongside Mary Magdalene. And he, he has this quote, so kissing this once debased but now sacred head, I said to myself, it is thus true that the greatest sinners have in them what makes for the greatest saints. Who knows if they will not one day become such. So we, we've said before, I think in, when we were talking about friendship, that uh, Thomas Aquinas says that when he looks upon an enemy of his, someone who, who stands against him, he sees in them the opportunity, the possibility of them becoming a, a friend of them, of himself and a friend of God. And I think this, uh, this quote from Blessed Latast has something of that quality that he sees in the lowest of the low, uh, in prisoners, ultimately he goes on to, to give retreats in, in, in a prison. He sees yes. in these in these ladies, in these inmates, he sees this in, in what do you say, inherent dignity. That Absolutely. Comes from the Lord and I've, this huge potential possibility of them for them in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's who seen they were made to be. Mm, he's seen in, the, in their lives actually that they've been discarded and he, th- he worries about the hope for them in the future. Uh, many of these women have been forced into prostitution because of terrible things that have happened to them in their lives. And he sees them and he loves them. And I, I, this is a very beautiful quote from the first time that he approaches, um, the first time he addresses the the women prisoners. This is this is in uh, Cadillac um, in southern France in 1864, September. Which is and, his hometown. Just to say. Yes. So this is where yeah. he- he grew up and he would know this prison uh, he would know rumors he'd know of, some of these of women these as well inmates. he may even yeah. know some of them yeah so this is what he says at his first the first time that he speaks to the prisoners and i i a minister of god consecrated though very unworthy to the service of his altars vowed for all my life to the absolute deprivation of all that you have abused voluntarily bound by the perpetual vows of poverty, of obedience and chastity, I come to you of my own will, of my own accord, without you waiting without waiting for you to call me, and stretching out my hands to you, I call you my good ones, my poor ones, my dear sisters. So beautiful. I, I just want to read that again, just just so you get that. And I, I, a minister of God, consecrated though very unworthy to the service of his altars vowed for all my life to the absolute deprivation of all that you've abused voluntarily bound by the perpetual vows of poverty of chastity and obedience 
I come to you of my own will, of my own accord, without waiting for you to call me, and stretching out my hands to you, I call you, my good ones, my poor ones, my dear, dear sisters. It is absolutely beautiful. This is the first time that he that he's um, the that he's, he's that he's a, that he's addressing them. Yeah, yeah. and you know, my I, dear sisters, my I, dear I sisters. Think it reminds you. I think for me, it reminds me of his experience with the Saint Vincent de Paul conference. Yeah, you know, I, what does they, he call they them? See a bond of yeah a bond with the poorest of the poorest. Mm-hmm. And here are these women who's lost everything. And he calls the he calls these prisoners. He calls them good. He says, I call you my good ones, my poor ones, my dear sisters. And that sense of calling, I think, is meant in two ways. One, calling them from something to something else and calling in the sense of naming. So I think he's calling them to uh, he's 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 uh, to some extent uh, giving them a vocation in some sense. Right. This is a moment of. Mm, do I want to say giving a vocation? Yeah, he, it is that sort of sense of calling um, uh, or the calling to which they are called. I call you my good ones, my poor ones, my dear sisters. And in an, and, the, and also in the other sense of calling, in the sense of um, how I recognize you. I recognize you as my good ones, my poor ones, and my dear sisters. And this is listen to how he's sort of speaking here i as a minister of god consecrated though very unworthy i am unworthy but i am still consecrated and i speak in the name of god i i'm i am a minister of god i speak in god's name and i call you out i call yeah. you out my good so ones this, my poor ones my dear ones is god's word it's god's word to them it, it's efficacious so it's a, it's a yeah. powerful it is it is a creative powerful uh word that he that he uh preaches to them there and he, they really identify with him and associate with him because they they see that he loves them here's something else that that he says really beautiful he was praying he was giving a a, a retreat to them and um, he has this reflection in front of the Blessed Sacrament when he's uh, um, uh, pre- um, in the context of preaching with them. And he, um, he writes this down in his book, Le, uh, Le Reha- uh, Rehabilité, Le Rehabilité. Uh, The Rehabilitated, basically. And he says, the gospel tells us that, that, that at Bethany there lived two sisters, Martha of inviolable virtue, and Mary Magdalene, who had been a sinner. Notice Mary Magdalene's back again. (laughs) And Mary Magdalene, who'd been a sinner. Jesus loved to come and rest in their home, where one served him and the other listened to his words. He made no distinction between them. Or did he? Is it not rather Mary Magdalene who is preferred? Martha is surprised and Jesus answers kindly, but he still gives preference to Mary Magdalene. You worry and fret about so many things, yet few are needed, indeed only one. It is Mary who has chosen the better part, and it is not to be taken from her. And what was this better part? It was that Magdalene loved more. She who had been a sinner had advanced further in the way of divine love than Martha, the model of virtue. When God loves us and gives us his grace, he does not ask us what we have been. He is only concerned with what we are. 
not with how we have how far we have fallen, but with how much we love. He judges us only on the strength of our love. Happy are those whose past urges them on to a greater love, and happy those others who, in a sort of rivalry, redouble their own efforts in order to not be left behind. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, and this is what leads him to found a Dominican community of sisters, half of whom, and they were called Houses of Bethany, and they still exist today. They still exist today. Uh, half of the, the women would be uh, would have been convicted of some sort of crime, uh, and the other half would not have been convicted uh, of any crime. And what is uh, very interesting is nobody is to know the difference. So these are his words now. I do not want anyone of you to know of our children the cause or the duration of their detention. I do not want any one of you to know the cause or the duration of our children's detention. The past must be absolutely buried, put in the grave. Let it never be alluded to in front of anyone, but only in confession and direction. Mm. So that And that's between the, the foundress and them. So the foundress, uh, Mother Henri Dominique, uh, she was allowed to know so that way they could come and they could talk to her if they wanted to. But other than that, it was supposed to be only between them and their confessor. Um, I do not want anyone uh, to know the cause or the duration of our children's detention. The past must be absolutely buried, put in the grave. Let it never be alluded to in front of anyone, but only in confession and direction. So that's a very... Um, yeah, that's sort of how how it all sort of came to be. And he says, here's another quote from him in 1865 when he was beginning to found it. I had the opportunity once again to admire the work of grace in these souls and to see the necessity and the opportunity of this foundation, not only for later, but right now. He sees grace active in the souls of uh, these people who had actually been written off, uh, written off by society, you know, um, yeah, and so he founds, he founds his community, and he does get a lot of pushback, you know, and not least from, from other religious, you know, saying, what are you doing, you know, <laughs> are these, are these people really fitting to be religious, won't it cause scandal, aren't people going to be scandalized by the fact, uh, that, you know, people who have committed great, uh, great sins, um, are now being clothed in, in the habit? Does it call us into disrepute? Um, but actually, this is a way of perfection. Religious life is a way of perfection. It's not that we expect people no, to be no perfect when they turn perfect. up. Yeah, exactly. No yeah. one joins perfect. And you know what? What better place could there be, you know, for for people who are trying to uh, renew and, and, and live a better life? I, yeah, course, I think the, the thing it's reputation the, protection, isn't it? I mean, yeah, and I just I don't have any time for it. Reputation protection, you know. Oh no, we can't have these hardened, serious sinners sort of come and join join our ranks. You know, people would get very upset and outraged. Well, actually, maybe the problem is with them, not with the people who want to change their lives and want to do better. Um, I suppose I suppose a really good point is that they they've served their time. 
they have what's the mm. point in a prison supposed to be there to mm -hmm. help the process of rehabilitation yes so if, if at the point when they come out of of these institutions out of prison if you cannot accept that they have a role to play in society or a role to play in a religious community yeah. or something then gosh something's gone gone wrong along the way yeah you know. Well, that is really interesting you say that. So in his book, Clear Rehabilité, Latast says this. Now, the, the, these are his words. And so in the end of this book, he's, he's basically making an appeal where he's basically um, encouraging people to get behind this, this vision that he has. And this is what he says. Now you understand our aim and the means by which it can be achieved. You have seen the problem and you have seen how it can be solved. These prisoners are worthy of your compassion. It is for you to give them some recompense for those long years of prison. Dishonored in the past, but long ago rehabilitated before God, they must now be rehabilitated before humanity. They must be saved not only from the past dishonor, but from that inevitable return to crime. They must be saved, not only for this life, but for eternity. They must be saved out of love for him who said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Uh, beautiful. Uh, there are a few things in there that I, that I find very striking. It is for you to give them some recompense for those long years of prison. That It's almost like, you know, you owe something to them. Uh, very, very interesting. Then again, we have uh, dishonored in the past, but long ago rehabilitated before God long ago rehabilitated before God. So then how then do you hold the past sins against them? They've been rehabilitated before God. Now it is time to restore and rehabilitate them before humanity. You know, the priest in confession, he doesn't just represent God. He does represent God. He's God's minister, but he also represents the people. He primarily represents God, but he also represents the church. He represents the people. So there is this restoration and this rehabilitation of the penitent before God and before humanity and before their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why you have penances and things like that and restitution uh, is to be made and things. They must be saved not only from past dishonor, but from an inevitable return to crime. They must be saved not only for this life, but for eternity, out of love for him who said, out of love for Jesus, out of love for Jesus who said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save what was lost. Beautiful. Beautiful. Man. I mean, I, I, I get really worked up by him there isn't get, a copy of his book passionate. actually in english i do i <laughs> i get very passionate about this i do yeah. um I, I, I you know there isn't a copy of his book in english so i hope one day um that somebody will translate his work yeah, uh, so if, if into english is, if anyone uh, can under, understand french <laughs> can you can find a copy of his work you can find a copy of his work on amazon in in french yeah. uh, called les rehabilité uh it's there it's on amazon it's about 10 pounds you can get it uh, in french um who knows maybe maybe i'll maybe my french will get good enough one day that i that i'd be able to do it but i just i think his vision for society um is a beautiful one. I think it's clearly based on the gospel. I think it's a Christian one. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I'm fully behind him and I hope that he's canonized uh, before too long. Yeah. Please, Lord. yeah. Praise God. So let's draw 
our episode to a close. I mean, it's a fascinating episode. I think we could carry on talking for a long time about so many different themes here that can also shape our own lives uh, and our own context. But alas, we have to keep the episode short. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, please uh, like and share the podcast with other people, uh, especially this episode. It's such a wonderful episode, such a wonderful figure to share with others. Uh, so we will be back again soon with another episode, a reflection on Tuesday from Brother Thomas. Anything you want to share? Oh, gosh, I can't remember what the reflections on. I, it, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I recorded the, I recorded some of these reflections uh, right at the beginning of time. So that way I got a little bit of a little bit of space. So I can't remember what it's on. Maybe one one last word I would say on um, on. Uh, maybe uh, Blessed Letaste, there's a Dominican lay community that was inspired by Letaste's example um, in Massachusetts. Uh, so there's a prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts, uh, which was inspired by the work of Letaste, and they created a lay Dominican community um, called Bethany Norfolk. Uh, and the community was instituted as a lay Dominican fraternity in 2005. So there are a group of people who came to uh, know the Dominicans in prison and then became Dominicans themselves while they were serving their sentences in prison. Uh, I just thought that that was just such a beautiful word of hope uh, for our world out there now, you know? Um, yeah, so maybe... Maybe I just ask for your prayers for uh, people who are in prison uh, and also the prayers of the lay Dominicans uh, of the prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts. Wonderful. I just have one trivial question for you, Brother Thomas. Oh, yeah. What, what was Lacordaire's Christian name before he became... Brother. Oh my gosh, I don't remember. I know his name. I was religion. hoping you pronounce it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do, do you want me to? Do you want me to uh, have a look? Wow, I don't know how you how you say it. Uh, it's I don't know. Alcide Vital. Oh gosh, I don't know how you say. No, it. no, no. That's not. That's not Lacordaire's. Sorry, Latast. Sorry, Latast. Oh, Latast. Oh yeah. I don't know how you. No, I don't know how to say it either. Hmm. <laughs> anyway thank you for joining us and we'll be back soon with another episode god, god bless, bless.